flatulence, cults, and poodle glass today on the Booterverse. Welcome back to episode 6 of the Booterverse. Today we have director and filmmaker Joshua Overbay with us. He's going to tell us what's the problem with cults. Judy Scheinbaum answers more of your questions, and Sir Cornwallis Willoughby fills in for Vasily. all today on the Booterverse. Buddha. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Fixed Gear Bikes. Fixed Gear Bikes, because you can't ride your typewriter to work. Buddha. And now for news in my orbit. Who had the most fun in the Lincoln bedroom? The answer might surprise you. It's not on the official tour, but a beautiful new coffee table book entitled Mattress Stains of the White House promises to give you a behind-the-sheets look at Pennsylvania Avenue's dirtiest secrets. The project was the life's work of presidential housekeeper Gladys Wiggins, who, for 60 years, lovingly chronicled the world of smears, oozes, and dribbles she uncovered in her daily rounds. She photographed each one and kept them in a shoebox along with descriptive notes and blushworthy speculation on their origin. The prize for the biggest stain goes to Calvin Coolidge, documented the morning of August 4th, 1925, after a particularly stimulating evening at the Russian embassy. And the most prolific stainer? No, it wasn't JFK, but rather Harry S. Truman, who Gladys affectionately termed Mr. Spitzer. An official spokesperson for the White House declined to comment on how Obama measures up. In flatuler news, a British inventor has constructed a giant set of buttocks that he plans to use to launch an explosive fart at France later this month. He admits to being very pleased with the way the 16-foot-tall metal derriere turned out, saying that in the past his sculpture skills have been terrible, but that these cheeks look quite realistic. The fart will literally be powered by gas and produces an explosive noise that has been clocked in excess of 140 decibels. If the wind is blowing in the right direction, it is hoped that the raspberry, slated to be released on Dover Beach, will be audible on French soil. The man claims he has nothing against France or the French, and that they are merely targeted because they are England's closest neighbor. In a statement, he said, if Sweden were closer, we'd be farting on them. In animal news, poodles spoke, pet psychics translated, and Google listened. At a gadget summit last week, the technology conglomerate unveiled its new product, Poodle Glass. Long regarded as one of the most intelligent breeds of dogs, poodles have grown tired of being popularly regarded as the big, harried airheads of the canine world. They have begged, but the treat they want most is to close the interspecies technology gap, and now it's within nipping distance. Pause-free usage was at the top of their requested features list, and Google delivered. Bark-activated operation will allow them to surf the internet, make their own grooming appointments, and take photos that prove the cat really did do it. Poodle Glass will be available for the doggy public to fetch this fall. And in ironic news, George Harrison's memorial tree in L.A.'s Griffith Park has been killed by actual beetles. Packing more destructive force than Yoko Ono, the little band of insects was simply unable to let it be, and now Harrison fans the world over are left to gently weep. But fear not. Park authorities say the pine tree will be replaced, although there is no word on whether it will be flown in from a Norwegian wood. That's it for news in my orbit. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Fixed Gear Bikes. Fixed, just like their riders should be. Buddha. Our fearless international correspondent, Vasily Krapov, is still missing. It is assumed he is still in North Korean airport. For more on Vasily, please stay tuned. 
In place of Vasily today, we have another correspondent, Sir Cornwallis Willoughby. Sir Cornwallis, a native of England, has come to America in search of American delightfulness. What has he found? Who's to say? Except for Sir Cornwallis himself. Sir Cornwallis, you're on the Booterverse. Oh, hello, chap. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for letting me uh, sort of grace your show. It is a lovely sort of place you have here. A little bit uh, sort of small in terms of what I'm accustomed to, but that, that'll that do just fine. Uh, so thank you as always. Thank you, Sir Cornwallis. Now, what have you found in America so far? Well, I don't know who scheduled this little tripty dip of mine, but I will say I started my trip in Alabama. I don't quite understand this place. It's sort of like what we English call a Scotland. <laughs> yes, that's right. It, it seems to be sort of filled with misfits and, and sort of uh, interesting people who have a, a, an, an interesting sort of acumen for the world in which they, they live. Sir Cornwallis, I'm really not sure what you mean. Oh, well, yes, I think you sort of do. They haven't seen a table. They wouldn't like to toss if you get my drift. Sir Cornwallis, I have absolutely no idea what that means. Oh, you don't have to, chap. I don't expect you Yanks to really understand where we're coming from. But I didn't make the transatlantic flight all those 12 hours or so, sitting next to a chap whose name was Buddy. I don't quite know where he was from, but I will say he thought Alabama was just the most delightful place in the world. And I've been here for days, and I simply don't know. I know you are coming to us a little bit remotely, but Alabama can't quite be that bad. Oh, my dear boy, it can be delightfully horrible. I don't mean to sort of disparage your Alabama demographic, of which I'm sure you have a prodigious number. But what we are noticing is that, well, let's be honest, I haven't seen a man without overalls in quite some time, drinking what I can only assume is a concoction of sort of a tea leaf and an, a lemon. I don't know what you call it. I believe they call that an Arnold Palmer. Well, I don't know what it is, but I surely know the Queen wouldn't be drinking it, and neither would I. Sir Cornwallis, are you sure it wasn't sweet tea? Oh, you make your tea sweet. Well, I do say, we do like a couple lumps or two, but beyond that, I can't imagine why anyone would want tea that sweet. There's only thing one sweeter than the tea, and that's the people. I dare say these are the nicest people I have ever met, while they do have... While they do share some interesting sort of um, notions about the world, I will say they are very polite and, and, and lovely chaps to be around. I just don't quite fit in, you know. I was sitting at a diner once, and a woman called me Han, and I didn't quite understand what she was saying. If she was referring to my likeness of uh, a sort of a sort of an Italian Hun sort of visage, or, or what? I just don't understand it. But you see, we will try to do the best we can on this little American venture. So certainly an American journey, if you will. <laughs> oh yes, that was of course a reference to the lovely 90s movie A, a Fifle, An American Tale, where Fifle, you know, comes across the sea, and then in that second one he goes west, by God. And I say, we will be going westward sometime, someplace, somewhere, and at some time, my friend. Well, I suppose that's it. Um, now, I will say, the stipend that you so lovely uh, sent me isn't quite enough to cover my room and board at what I believe is called a, a Motel 6. Is there any way that we can sort of upgrade to a, a Motel 8 or, or perhaps a 12? Any, any opportunity? Any chance at all? Okay then. Well, thank you so much. Um, uh, quite a. Uh, I will tell by the lack of response that we're staying at the Motel Six one more night, one more week, and perhaps for the rest of the year. Thank you, Sir Cornwallis. That has been Sir Cornwallis Willoughby. 
May you have delightful adventures, my friend. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, excellent. And I, I so look forward to coming back and, and talking on your little show. That has been Sir Cornwallis Willoughby. And we'll be right back with the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Fixed Gear Bikes. Fixed Gear Bikes, because you really didn't want to go up that hill anyway, did you? And now Judy Scheinbaum answers your question in a segment we like to call Last Long with Judy. Judy Scheinbaum, you're on the Booterverse. Oh, hello, Emery. It's always great to be here. Episode 6, I'm loving it as always. Thank you, Judy. The stage is yours. All right, my first question is from Mavis in Albany, New York. What is the best cut of veal, she asks. I never understood those little meat maps. Seriously, I haven't understood those meat maps either. Let me tell you, the only person I let around a meat map is my rabbi. And seriously, the man cuts like a champ. I'm not going to say he shaves too close, but let me tell you, he gets a cut just right. You know what I mean? Seriously, when you go to the butcher, one, stay away from the pork. It can only mean disaster. I mean D-I-S-T, you know, disaster. I would actually just stay away from the butcher altogether. Where do I get my meats? I go to the local deli. I don't do a butcher, I just go to the deli. Why? It's already pre-cut, it looks beautiful, they do a great job. You don't have to see the cow hanging on the thingamabigger. You know what I mean. All right, what was your question? Oh, what is the best cut of veal? Well, <laughs> seriously, any cut of veal is just gonna be fine. But I prefer, uh, I prefer filet mignon, you know. It's French for filet of mignon. My second question is from Loretta in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Pittsfield! Oh my god, I, I have deodorant that couldn't handle that. How does the lady fight moistness in the heat? Well, seriously, moistness in the heat? I feel like I'm in Tallahassee down here. It's, it's, more, it's more humid than a swamp in July. The island of Manhattan was Indian for will sweat in the summer. I know, I'm not an Indian scholar, but I will say, that's what it stands for. Someone told me that once, and I can never forget it. Loretta, the best way to fight the heat is to go to a Baptist church, get those little cardboard fans, and just keep fanning yourself. It's the only way it'll work. If you don't have air conditioning and you don't have a box unit, I swear, my box unit is always going out. It's on the fritz more times than the Maury Povich show. But what you can do is just fan yourself off, just, you know, and get one of those salsa bottles and just spray yourself intermittently. I know it seems silly, but that salsa water does great things for the pores. So stay cool, my friend. My next question is from Beverly in Sarasota, Florida. She asks, how many cats are too many? One. Sharon in Boise, Idaho says, oh, Boise, oh, I like Idaho. I don't know what that state is shaped like, but it's very interesting. Lots of mountains. Why does Donald Duck wear a towel when he comes out of the shower, when he doesn't actually wear pants? Seriously, I don't know what Donald's problem was. I mean, that's a quacker I have yet to figure out. He could go to my shrink, and still, we couldn't unravel the mysteries of that duck. He waddles around naked. I'm not judging, I'm just saying a feather only goes so far and covers up so much. The man is a degenerate, let's just go. For, for 50 years, he's been a degenerate waddling around. I'm not going to lie about it. Donald and I have some issues. They go back to the late 60s. I don't want to talk about it, but you know. My last question tonight is from Pauline in Las Vegas, Nevada. I think I'm addicted to the slots. Help. Well, sweetheart, who isn't? That's it for the last lung. You all have been gems. I love you. Mwah! That's been the last lung with Judy. Buddha! Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Fixed Gear Bikes. 
fixed gear bikes because you really don't want your bike to be smarter than you are. Today we have a very special guest. I'm sitting down with Joshua Overbay, director and overall nice guy. Josh, it's great to have you here. Thanks, good to be here. Josh, now for those of you who don't know, you've just had a movie come out. Tell us about it. As It Is In Heaven. Um, it was shot in 2012 in Kentucky. Uh, and it's about a small religious cult lives in Kentucky. Um, and uh, it's a, they're a doomsday cult. They believe that the world uh, is coming to an end and we start when they're 30 days out from that end. So it's about tracking uh, kind of all the madness that ensues as a result of them. Are you saying there's a madness in cults? There is madness, yeah, just a bit. Without giving too much away, how do you chronicle that? Um, you know, I think it was really, it was really important for me. Um, I mean, one of my goals from the beginning was to actually create a pretty sympathetic connection between the viewer and the members of the cult to kind of uh, you know, demolish this idea of crazy and other and alien, you know, the, the way we often think of cults, and instead uh, humanize. So you're trying to get people to join the cults? Ideally. So this is more of a propaganda film than it is a documentary and or a drama. Yeah, up there with Triumph of the Will. Yeah, kind of like White Fang. Exactly. I know it takes place in Kentucky, but are there any wolves in this? Any Indians? Okay, no Indians. Well, what do you have against Native Americans? I kid, I kid. My headdress is out there. <laughs> now, Josh, how did you get this funded? This is a really incredible story, I think. Listen, the only thing I've spent this much money on is my bow tie collection. So tell me what you've done with the amount of money you've had and how you got it. I mean, we financed it all through Kickstarter. So it was crowdfunded. Um, and we pretty much exploited uh, Facebook and Twitter to make that happen. I lost a lot of friends, but it was worth it. I love that your dedication to your craft goes so far. Cutting your friends out of this picture, literally and figuratively, it's beautiful. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, it was, we, we raised, I think, around 11000 for uh, via Kickstarter, and that's what we made the movie with. $11,000. So for the price of a moderately sized sedan or a new Kia Sophia. You can also get a micro-budget movie with cult members. Who wouldn't want that? Right. And speaking of a micro-budget, you have had a mega response. The Wall Street Journal, was it the Wall Street Journal? Well, they were in there too, actually. Yeah. You've just had a mega review. The New York Times just gave you five stars. Out of how many? I'm not sure. Okay. But how does it feel? You're nationally known for this micro-budgeted film, but great response. Yeah, I mean, it's really... It's really crazy and surreal. In fact, we were house shopping when um, I saw the review. We were at a stop sign. My wife just got a call from someone we had tried to contact about a rental. And uh, so I looked down at my phone, you know, awaiting this big review, and I skimmed through it. And when I saw that it was a positive review, I got out of the car and ran around it 10 times. Was it more exciting or less exciting than your first child being born? That's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. But I ask the hard-hitting questions. I think you all know that. It's a different emotion, you know? I mean, when your child's born, it's very euphoric. This was more like, it was validating, you know? What does it take for a filmmaker to feel that validation? I mean, I haven't had a New York Times review. I mean, I think there's sort of a, I mean, in ways, it's momentary. But then uh, you, have to, you have to celebrate those wins. You have to celebrate uh, the small victories. and. I mean, the fact that it's even in theaters has already surpassed my expectations. So I have to remind myself of that. Absolutely. Where has it shown so far? Um, New York, Chicago, Seattle. Uh, it's in Lexington this week, then Louisville, 
New Orleans and then LA. Excellent. So you brought it back home to the good old Lexington. So how are the local natives receiving it? Do they enjoy it? That you're sort of, you know, chronicling their pasture land? Right. I mean, we'll find out. Um, tomorrow is our opening premiere, so we will see. I mean, it'll be interesting just because we are in the Bible Belt. Um, so I'll be really curious to see how people respond to its depiction of faith. Well, I think the question they want to know is, are there any swears in the movie? Are there any swears? That's probably what they're looking for. Are there any swears? No swears? None? Not a single one? There are no swears. But you know, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, I think we chose that simply because it wasn't believable that there would be, given the circumstances. The nature of their cult-like activities. What's the number one thing cult members do? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, do they just walk around with white robes all the time? What do they do? I think it depends on the cult. I mean, I... My, my take on it is that they uh, follow rigorously. Ah, the sort of ubermensch, if you will. The sort of leader, the Fuhrer. I don't mean to use the German words, it just, just feels right. You know, with a name like Buderbaugh, who wouldn't? I don't look good in tan, if you're asking. Right. <laughs> now, the movie itself, how did you make it? You obviously had the Kickstarter campaign, but who were the minions that helped you? Well, you know, I was teaching at a local university at the time. And 98% uh, of the crew members actually come from that school. Yeah, I mean, almost all of them, except for myself and Isaac Pletcher. And Isaac is? Producer, cinematographer. Overall a nice guy, I would assume. I don't know if I would use the word nice to describe Isaac, but overall good guy. He's a, he's a job getter dunner. <laughs> I've seen some of his lighting. Heck, we could use him in here. He could make Angela Lansbury look good. I mean, he could even out all those wrinkles. He could make the Sierra Nevadas look as smooth as this lovely desk. Mm. We'll be back with Joshua Overbay right after this. Buddha. Today's episode of The Buddhaverse is brought to you by Fixed Gear Bikes. Fixed Gear Bikes, because more than one gear would be just a little too much. And we're back with director Josh Overbay. Josh, great to have you back. Thanks, man. Now, we've covered the movie, the cult-like classic, because it is. I mean, it will be. Well, it, it could be. It's about cult, so I'm assuming it will be a cult classic. <laughs> well, one would hope. One would hope. Who would you want to join that cult? <laughs> Why did Kanye West pop into my mind? Kanye would be there for you in a second, my friend. Now, let me ask you one quick question, though. Surrounded by Kanye's delightfulness, are all the members of your cult so far white? No. Oh, it's a multicultural cult? Kind of. There's one Asian girl. <laughs> well, you know, baby steps. Baby steps, Josh. I think Kanye might be off-put that it's not more diverse. He would stand out. That's true. Although he may want to join because of that. Given my sincerity, I could make a good pitch. I know how you could. Now, you did actually make this movie, As It Is In Heaven, in Central Kentucky. Yeah, we shot it in Nicholasville. Is that some sort of small hamlet in the hills? <laughs> well, it's where John Michael Montgomery's from. Oh my, I think people know I'm a big fan of John Michael Montgomery. John Michael Montgomery, he's one big hoss. And by God, if he'd like to come on the show, well, we'd have him. Why not? Now, John Michael Montgomery, was he in this cult? He was not. Only in spirit. Well, as you would think. Nothing is more heavenly than a John Michael Montgomery song. I mean, really, you have As It Is In Heaven in song form, I would think. Was any of his music playing in the proverbial background? Sadly, we couldn't get the rights. Initially, it was part of the plan. It was in the final draft, but then we just had to mix it at the last minute. Mm, but I'm no music critic. 
Speaking of your critics, the New York Times was very generous with you. How were you received elsewhere? Well, on the whole, it's been positive. Um, you know, we got a really good review from uh, a couple of Chicago papers, the Sun-Times and uh, RogerEbert.com. Not by Roger Ebert, but right, the site continues, right? Which has caused some confusion. I'm not sure why, because it says RogerEbert.com, but I've had people... Is he reviewing from beyond? And if he was, if he was, would he like the movie? Right, that's the question. Um, you know, I don't know. I hope. He tends to be pretty fond of films with religious subject matter. It's kind of an interesting paradox because he's a he's a self-professed atheist, but I, he's you know when he talks about like the Tree of Life or um, some of other Mallet's films and other faith-based not faith-based films but other stuff that deals with faith, he tends to be pretty kind uh, to those depictions. Um, Seattle was very generous. So the hipsters love you. That's true. If Seattle's in your corner, all you need to do is check Portland off your list, my friend, and you are good to go. And then I'm set. Speaking of hipsters, you were also down in Nashville at the Nashville Film Festival. How did that go? It went well. Um, big crowds. <laughs> big crowds? Big crowds, As right. As only Nashville crowds can deliver. I love it. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great festival. They, they, treat, you, they treat you well. Um, and uh, I was actually only there for a couple of days because of my teaching schedule. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a good event. Great questions. Great questions from uh, the Nashville crowd. And that's really what is probably the most fulfilling, is when you go to festivals, you get this great opportunity for Q&As. And uh, a lot of the people who come are, are very you know, savvy film viewers and have uh, pretty shrewd questions. So it's nice, you know, sometimes uh, unexpected things. But good stuff. In fact, the first screening we played out in San Jose, uh, and uh, in the first screening, there was a Pentecostal minister there. Hallelujah! And also like this little like atheist subset, and they were sitting on opposite sides, and for different reasons they ended up liking the film, which I found to be really cool. So you're basically crossing the divide, my friend. You're helping Americans hold hands across that cultish divide. <laughs> exactly. Mm, I love it. While they sit down. I think you know I'm a big fan of sitting down. Right, yes you are. So you talked about education, and if I may say, I know this about you. So I'm just gonna let them know. Sure. You, my friend, have just received a lovely new teaching assignment. Do you wanna tell them where you're going? Yeah, uh, I'll be teaching at LSU uh, in Baton Rouge, starting in the fall. Now, because of who I am, I can't take sides, athletically speaking. I always thought I would put the special in special teams, but nobody would have it. But I will say that it's a lovely feather in your cap and they will be happy to have you. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a cool space. I like Baton Rouge, um, and I'm in the theater department, so they tend to be very open, welcoming, kind people. So the New Orleans vibe, kind of close. Will you be doing another film with the sort of religious overtones, but taking place in Baton Rouge or New Orleans? I mean, I think I'm always going to do stuff. I mean, not all of my work, if I get to do you know, more films, which I hope to. I, I, I imagine that's always going to be kind of a repeating theme just because it's very, you know, important to me and stuff that I think about frequently. If I came down from Mardi Gras, would you throw me some beads? From my porch. I love it. Listen, whenever I can get them. <laughs> well, in fact, in Baton Rouge, you know, they have their own Mardi Gras parades and we're actually, the house that we're renting is on the parade route. Excellent. Wow. Is this as raucousy as the one in New Orleans? It's not. It's, they were very, everyone let us know that this is a very family friendly parade so Annabelle my daughter would be uh, would be saying 
all of three years old. Has she seen the movie? You know, it's funny because she loves watching trailers. She'll sit down. I'll be like, Annabelle, let's watch a trailer together. She'll sit down on my lap and we'll watch it. But when I showed her mine, she got scared. <laughs> You're scaring your own daughter? <laughs> I know. You know, it's like cognitive dissonance, right? How do I deal with this? Okay. But when she's of age, you'll have to report back and tell us what she thinks. I will. Now, speaking of your biggest critic, your wife actually helped write the screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, we came up with the story together, and uh, then she wrote the screenplay uh, in its entirety and the, the many, many drafts. Uh, we have a really good working relationship, um, mostly because we get each other, and she can deal with my perfectionism better than other people can. So, uh, I know nothing about that, Josh. Nothing. <laughs> it works. It works really well. Um, we're working on our new script now. Excellent. A new script. Can you give us any hints? Yeah. Um, you know, it's still kind of in the territory of the psychological thriller, um, but this time it's uh, tackling uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, veterans from Afghanistan and the protagonist is a female. So uh, we've actually got um, a lot of interest from organizations like Wounded Warrior and USO. And uh, it's very likely that this will be kind of in the one to three million dollar range, which would be a big, you know, jump forward. Going from eleven thousand dollars to one to three million? Oh my, that's it scares me. I don't know what I'm gonna do with that. Write those checks, my friend. I think I'm just gonna pour it all into the cast and then just work as though I don't have any money. Is there any room for a talk show host in that film? <laughs> it's possible. And there's MMA involved as well. So it's got everything, man. Now, a lot of things that people don't know about me, uh, I have a green belt in karate. Really? Earned it when I was seven. Still holding on to that. Nice. Good for you. So what's next for you? We've talked about the movie. You'll be going down to Louisiana to teach. Are there any special plans? You going on vacay? What are you doing? Man, we haven't been on a vacation in a long time. You know, even you saying that makes me want to go on a vacation. I hope so. I hope in the next year that there can be a vacation. I think at this point, it's simply making sure the bills get paid, um, trying to get my daughter into a preschool, trying to get another movie made. So Your plate is full, my friend. I'd like to think of this show as a little mini vacay for my guests, where they can come and enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it's a relaxing couch. I'm glad you like it. I'd let you take it home, but we kind of need it. <laughs> That's been another episode of The Booterverse. Thank you all so, so much for listening. It has been a pleasure to come into your earbuds, earphones, and through your monitors. Stay tuned as we have more episodes to come. I'd also like to send a special thanks to film director and movie maker Joshua Overbay for being on the show. As always, a special thanks to Courtney, Sonny, and the production team for making this all happen. If you haven't gotten enough of me here on the show, you can always find me on Facebook and Twitter under the handle TheBooter. After having done six episodes, we want to hear more of what you have to think. If you have any comments or thoughts on the show, please get in contact with us at booterverse at thebooter.com. I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Booterverse is always a click away.